Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Heather. So uh, Bruce just stole my thunder the new series that we're doing now. But good morning. Welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Glad to uh, see many of you. If you are new or just kind of still trying to get involved here at Redeemer Lincoln Square, a special welcome to you as well. Um, If you're tuning in and listening in from our live stream, we're glad that you can do so. And yet we also love, we'd love to see you again uh, in the flesh, so to speak. We, as Bruce said, we are starting a new series today, and the series is about what does it mean to be in the flesh, to, to be bodily, to be physical. And I believe this is a great time to have this conversation as, as we're trying to push ourselves to come back together for communion, for relationship, for worship. And the, what we're going to do is we're going to start in the beginning. So we're looking at Genesis, uh, verse 1, the very beginning of the whole Bible. And what we're going to do starting today is we're going to preach through every verse of the Bible, and we're going to get to the end by about 2057. Just, no. That's not going to happen. That would be kind of ambitious, but we're we're not going to do that. But we are doing this series. We're going to look at the very first couple of chapters of, of Genesis. Why? Because, in a nutshell, we won't know where we're going unless we know where we've been. It's always been that way. You do not know, we do not know where to go if we don't know where we've come from. All the questions that our culture are asking right now, questions about identity, questions about purpose, questions about meaning, Genesis has something to say about that. Historians have always studied the past to know how to live in the now, to know how to go forward in the future, and we need to do that as well. I need to get a little, a little bit out of the way though, this. Um, small problem. Most people come to Genesis. The first question people ask of Genesis is the how question. We want, we come to Genesis, we want to know how. How was it done? Was it through evolution? Was it through seven-day creation? How did God create? And we ask that how question because as modern people, we've been trained to do that. Uh, because of modernity, because of science, we like to pull things apart and, and figure things out. We're very curious people. That's good. However, 
we need to remember that the book of Genesis was written by pre-modern people. We, we must ask, therefore, what did the original author actually intend? And we must ask that question knowing that most pre-modern people did not know how things worked. They were pre-scientific. And so they did not know how the weather worked. They did not know how the body worked. They did not know how the stars and the moon worked. And when you don't know how things work, you know what you care about? You care about who's in charge. Because you don't know, there's a lot more mystery in the world, so you want your, the question you're really asking is, is who, not how? And I believe in some ways that is the more important question to ask, because there is still a lot of mystery in the world. And we don't have time to go into this now, but just, I, college students used to always ask this question about Christianity and science, you know, how does it work? And when it comes to Genesis, if you believe in God, and God is all-powerful, and, 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 and who he says he is, could he create through seven-day creation? Sure he can. Could he create through evolutionary processes? Sure he can. Right? He's that powerful, and I don't, I, we don't have time to get into all that, but I think what's more important to focus on is what the writer's trying to communicate, and it's who, not how. Uh, let me try to illustrate this. If it's Christmas, and you get a Christmas present from uh, uh, somebody that you don't know, and it just shows up, and it's, a, it's this wonderful, beautiful gift, is the first question you're going to ask going to be how? How did the manufacturer make this? How did it take them 24 hours? Did it take them millions of years? How, what tools did they use? No. What you're going to do is you're probably going to ask, what you should ask is who? Who is the person who gave this? What, how do I, how do I use it? How do I not abuse it? What does it look like? What, what does it mean? What does it tell me about who is the one who gave it to us? How, you know, why did they make it in the first place? So it's always who, not how. And no, I believe the Bible is 100% true. I believe it is telling us about creation. But mainly I believe the writer wants us to see who. And so our text is going to focus on that today. It's the three things that I think are being said here are, are God created, God created through speaking, and God created that which was good. So let's look at those three things. God created, he created through speaking, but he created everything good. So first, God created. Uh, and this is in verse 1 of chapter 1, at the very beginning of the Bible. Look at it. It says, in the beginning, God. What does the writer want us to see? Well, the subject, the focus is God. In fact, if you look at the first 35 verses, the word God shows up in about as many times. Clearly, that's the focus. And many folk now go, okay, that's nice to say, Michael, thank you so much. So what? And I kind of want to say, so what? So what if he made, if he started, if he did, if that's true, if this line, if these three, four, no, four, one, two, three, four, if these five words, in the beginning, God created, if that's real, that changes every aspect of our existence. Let me try to rattle off just a few I got these from uh, D.A. Carson. Number one, if God creates, that means God is different from his creation. And if he's different from his creation, that means no to pantheism. Pantheism basically says that uh, God or us, we're all, this is all an illusion, we're all one. And therefore, if that's not true, then that's no to most Eastern religions. Secondly, the idea that when God creates, he creates everything good. Right, right here in the text. That means 
That's a no to dualism. Dualism is the idea that the world, everything is this warring direction between evil and good, back and forth. But that's actually not what you see here. So that would be no to the Greeks and the Romans and, and that whole genre in philosophy. Uh, number three, the idea that humans are made separately from animals. There's a distinction further on in Genesis. That he makes animals and then he makes humanity differently. Not, not less than animals, but certainly more. That keeps us from the reductionism that we're just the product of, of randomness, that we just sort, sort of showed up and, this is, and we're, there's no distinction. That's saying no to modern philosophies and secularism. So if you're keeping a scorecard right now, if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure what you believe, there's a whole view out there that says, well, all religions basically say the same thing. And in just a couple lines in Genesis, no to pantheism, no to dualism, no to, no to just the, the randomness of the world. There was a creator. That changes everything. It has huge implications. See, I, the, put, look, let's, let's go in, back into ourselves. Why do we spend so much time wondering who we are? What's the point of everything? Why am I here? What should I do with my life? I was... Um, just sort of perusing Netflix a couple weeks ago, and there was a, an older movie called I, Robot with Will, Will Smith, who plays this uh, sort of futuristic police officer, and he's talking to a robot who is questioning his existence. Why was I made? And uh, in one of the climaxes of, the, of the, the, the movie, he says this. He says, well, I guess you're just going to have to figure your way out like the rest of us. Translation... The definition of being human is, what what that means is to live as if you have no design, as if you have no greater purpose. You're just going to have to figure it out like the rest of us. Small problem with that, if you do not know your design, you're going to have a really hard time knowing how well we're doing. We're going to have a hard time knowing if we're living in light of that, good and bad. This is what moral philosopher Alistair McIntyre points out. Um, Let me try to give you an example of this. Imagine uh, 3,000 years from now that humans are gone from from the world. Uh, It was a comet, kind of hit, everybody's gone. Um, You heard it said here first, 2021, Michael Keller. That's how how, how it's all going to end. It's it's imagine. It's not real. Um, Aliens show up, see? Aliens show up, and they, they get to Earth, and they find a watch on the ground. And they pick up this watch, and they, they, they don't, they've never seen it. They don't know what it's, what it's for. So they say, you know what? I, there's, they see some nails laying around. They want to use it as a hammer. They start banging nails into a piece of wood with that watch. And, of course, the crown breaks. It scratches up. They say, this is a terrible watch, and they throw it away. Now, if we were there, we'd say, wait, that's not how you're supposed to use a watch. That's actually not its purpose, that you can't evaluate the, the usefulness and the, the goodness of a watch based on how you're using it, if you're using it improperly. Because we know what it's, what it's designed for. Now look at yourself. If you were an accident, if you were made just randomly, you just sort of just here you are, and then when you die, you're just going to kind of go back to randomness as well. There is no further point to reality. There is no God. There is no design. That means you and I cannot say how we ought to live. That there's certain, even if you feel very strongly about that. So if the strong oppress the weak, you might feel that's wrong, but since there's no greater design, who's to say that that's wrong? 
Now, I think a lot of people do say that it's wrong. And go onto social media, and there's all kinds of people every day saying they know exactly how you ought to live your life. Which means, functionally, nobody really lives without any meaning. And yet, our culture has no foundation for it, which is why some of the problems that we have right now is we're all running around telling each other how we ought to live, and we have no basis, we have no uh, rootedness in the design of how we're supposed to live. Now go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is very clear. This is saying you do have meaning, and you do have purpose, and you do have a design, because in the beginning God created. And I, I guess... Before we move on, we have to ask ourselves, do we, do, do you, as modern New Yorkers, do you live your life in light of that? Do you, do you root your identity and your purpose in the idea that God created, and he created me, and he created you, and he's in charge, and that means there is more to life right now than what the world is telling you? Or are you, we going to keep living inconsistently? I'm, 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 I'm uh, projecting some of my issues on you right now. But are we going to live sometimes as if we are in light of that and sometimes not? Usually how we want to do what we want to do. But if you were made for a purpose and made good, that changes how we live our life, who we interact with, where we interact with, where we live, how we live, what's more, what's less, what we eat, how we breathe. It changes everything. So... At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Okay, God created. But secondly, he created by speaking. Go to verse 2 now. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. So until he speaks, there's nothing. Ex nihilo. But in verse 3, it says... And God said. And then go to verse 4. God saw that the light was good. He separated from that. And then God called in verse 5. And then verse 6, God said. And then you look down in verse 9, God said again. So there's there's call, said, call, said. There's a pattern here. What's going on? What's happening here is that God, when it comes to existence, speaks it into reality. And I think that's really important that God, when he makes creation, he speaks it. Let me give you two uh, functional reasons for why this matters. One, because if he speaks creation into existence, it means you and I have a personal God. It means we have a communicative God. It means we have a relational God. And I can say that because a speaking God, by definition, is someone that you can speak to as well. See, notice God never creates without speaking and that means all notions, there's this, there's this view out there that God is impersonal, that you can't, you can't know about him, you can't see him, you can't hear him. And yet what this is saying is you can see him, you can hear him in his creation, which he has spoken into existence. 
that the very words of who he, of, of what he's about is actually all around us. It's you, in you, and around you. Now, no, this is not pantheism, that you are all God, but you can see the display of who he is through what he's done. So that means on every mountaintop, in every ocean, in every wave, in every grain of sand, when people say, I don't feel like God's speaking, it's right there. He is. He is. The biblical God is being told to us that he is understandable and communicative. And so if you don't think God talks, I guess I'm pushing myself here. Am I looking around? Do I look up? Do I see the stars? I guess in New York City, there's so much uh, light, so I have to go somewhere. You know, am I looking out? Are we looking around? Right? Are we looking down into the world? Because he is speaking, number one. Number two, he's speaking creation to existence, but it's not just a sign that he's personal. Secondly, it means he's powerful. Right? He doesn't just create by speaking. He actually creates through speaking. Notice uh, when it comes to all these elements, it's not like they were laying around and he, like a builder, wields the light or he molds the light. It, there was nothing. And then through, by his words, there is something. Uh, that means his words have power in of themselves. Let me compare. Let me give you a little contrast. <clears throat> let's try, let's, let me see if I can do this. When I speak, I say, let there be light. And there's not any more light than there already is. Unless my finger is on a light switch, bink, it's not going to work. Now, God, when he said that let there be light, there just was light. Why? Because the very nature of God's word is power. It has the power to speak things be. Psalm 29 goes into this, tells us a little bit more. He says, uh, God's word is his deed. Whereas, and and now contrast that with yourself. Are our words our deeds? No. Often, you know what we can do? We have the ability when we speak to not do what we say. I'll be there in five minutes. Nope. Uh, I'm, I'm really close. No, you're not. I'm, yes, I'm going into my own personal life right now. But since God's word is his deed, then it's actually impossible for him to do anything different from his word. Why does that matter? It matters because then the Bible, what we have, God's word, this is not just a bunch of stories and nice platitudes and inspirations. When you go to um, Isaiah 43, verse 19, and, and God says, I am doing something new. When God says, I am doing something new, behold, I am doing something new. That is not aspirational. That is true. That God is speaking creation. He's doing something new in you. He's doing something new in this world. It's real. It's, it's actual. And that means God is speaking into creation right now. And I guess I have to, you know, push ourselves. Do we see that? Do we see that, that what he's saying? He's saying, I'm here in creation. Every aspect, every piece of wood, every, every other human, every, every, again, grain of sand is saying, I'm here, I'm involved, I'm over and in all things. What do I mean by that? I'll try to put it a different way. Uh, some of you, if, you're, if you, you like these fun facts, you know that the distance between the sun and the earth is ni- about 96 million miles. Um, 96, 96 million miles between here and the earth. Let's say um, uh, that uh, distance is represented by the width of this piece of paper. 
if it's 96 million miles, that, that, that distance, the, the distance between earth and the sun is, is 96 million miles. If we want to know the distance between the earth and the next star, it's actually set a 70 feet high stack of paper. And if you want to know the distance of the whole diameter of our galaxy, it's in, in the width of a piece of paper, it's, that, those, it's a stack of papers stacked up 310 miles high. And that galaxy that we live in is actually inside an even larger universe. And what this text is saying then is that the entire universe, God of the universe, makes every square inch of it through his word. And we're worried about getting that promotion. <laughs> and we're worried about if he, if, if, if he actually cares about you. Do you see the point? Is this somebody that you just sort of invite into part of your life? Is this somebody that you kind of like a personal assistant? Hey, fix up this area over here. Is this somebody that you kind of talk to every once in a while? Maybe think about on a Sunday morning? No. See, these verses are saying to us, not, come not to God saying, fill this part of my life, be involved over here. No, come to God who is worthy of your praise, of your worship, of your honor, of your wonder. One of the things I love, I love the outdoors. I love going hiking. I love the mountaintops. I love snorkeling. I love, I love the water. I love the idea that I'm seeing beauty that normally I wouldn't see, that most humans don't look at, and it's just there, swimming around, because God is essentially sometimes screaming at me, I build, I make for the pure joy of the goodness of creation in and of itself. And I would love for you to partake in that. And I'd love for you to see that. And not only, would, not only that, if you see it, if you see the beauty, I don't want you just to worship me. I want you to trust me. I don't want you just to believe in me. I want you to have a relationship and an experience with me. Another way to put this, I'm getting to the age where I'm starting to uh, appreciate art a little bit more, and, and not just like in a museum, but you know, going to galleries, and, and you see a good piece of art or a good musical piece of art, really good art makes you want to know about the artist behind it. Who is he? Who is she? What did, what did she do to make that art? Who's the greatest artist in the world? Are we asking the question, what are they about? What have they done? How are they, how are they making this? What's he about? Let him speak to you so that he can make his love more real to you. Or, no, put it another way. Where is he telling you about who he is and perhaps you're not really listening to him? Where in your life are you not, are ignoring him Speaking, if he speaks creation into existence, and it's happening everywhere, all the time, all around us, where are we not listening? And how might we listen better? Well, last point. He creates, he creates through speaking, but most importantly, God creates only that which is good. Look at verse 4. Uh, in verse 4, it says, God saw that the light was good. And then it keeps going, right? It's kind of like a drive-by. But go down to verse 9, right? Um, uh, God says, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so, and it was good. It keeps going on. I, I, I didn't put the whole chapter here, but it, it keeps going over and over and over again. Creation happens and God says it was good. Creation happens and God says it was good. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. This is not going, God makes something and he goes, man, that's really nice. <laughs> 
He's not even saying, man, I'm really good at this. I'm God. That's not what's going on. When, when it says, remember, his words speak power. When he's saying it is good, he is literally declaring enjoyment and joy of that which it was made. In other words, God is speaking joy into creation too at the very time, moment of, of, of the world's uh, beginning. And don't, don't forget, he's not just saying this to himself. This is where our minds sort of start breaking. God is three persons, and all three persons are here. Look at Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. Genesis 2, the Spirit of God is hovering. And then Genesis 3, right? And God said, God's word was there too. You go to John chapter 1, 1. It says, there's a parallel going on. It says there, in the beginning was, what? The word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And we're told later on in John, that guess who that word is? That's Jesus. And so you have the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all present, enjoying creation the whole time. And this is important, uh, and I know it can get kind of heady, but you have to see this. The Trinity, perfect relationship within the Godhead, the three in one. You have perfect happiness, perfect wholeness, perfect community. Go to John chapter 17. They glorified each other, it says there. To glorify means enjoy in some ways. Mutual enjoyment and satisfaction within each other. But then it forces us to ask, why? Why would he create then? If, everything, if he had, throughout all of time and existence, perfection, why create? And this is August, Augustine points this out. If God was singular, then the only reason to create would be to have other people then to, 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 to focus on him. And God in his singularity would be imperfect because he ne- wouldn't have ever have loved before creation. So he'd have been imperfect in and of himself. But instead of having an egomaniac God, if you have a Trinitarian God, the God of the Bible has perfect relationship and satisfaction within, with, within the Godhead, then he didn't create because he had to, because he needed to. He didn't need to create to get perfect love and happiness because he already had that. And now, through process, process of elimination, that means the only reason left to create it wouldn't be to get love. It would have to be to give love. It would be the very nature of humanity, the essence, the core of creation is this self-giving world of love that was already there expanding out into the universe for all of eternity. And now that thought is profound because that means the essence of creation then is a world of love. And that means to let, to live life well means to let the perfection and beauty of the love that he had in, in himself spill out into our life and back into the world. That means that Jesus, when he came into this world to live and die for us, then that, what that means is that's actually part of the creation ordinance, to spread the love. He came not for his happiness, but for our happiness. And knowing then, because he's God, that the brokenness that you and I experience right now, knowing the, the death, the hurt, he willingly went, he said, I'm still going to create, I'm still going to redeem that because it's still going to be, in the end, good. Let me put it this way. I think somehow deep in our soul, we know there's nothing better than to be loved. And interestingly, isn't it interesting that if this is true, then the core of creation is giving of love, which therefore, that's why we 
There's nothing better because we're made for that. It's like um, we were made for, for this world. Think, think then for your second. Why do I diet? I've asked myself that this past couple of weeks. Why am I trying to diet? Why, why do we, we work hard? Why do we seek comfort and approval in our lives? I think at the end of the day, it's because those are derivative loves. Right? When I, when I get comfort, when I get, a little, when I get cozy and, and I eat a bowl of ice cream or a bucket, <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I feel comfortable, there's, a, there's a, some level I feel loved. That's why I like approval. Because at some level, I feel like somebody else has, is speaking a word on me, a word of truth. Those are all derivative loves, but they're coming from created material things. And if you are more than material— and there's an eternal aspect of who you are, that means you're only going to be able to be filled with an, et- with an eternal love as well, which means you're only going to find true satisfaction and love in the world of love found inside the Trinity, the Trinitarian Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you put them at the center of your life, and they, by the way, put you at the center of their lives, and when you see him living and dying, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, for you on the cross, and you let that be the core of who you are, that's the only way that ultimately we're going to be able to get this goodness and love in our life. There's this, um, I've waited till now. There's this, there's this scene in the second season of Ted Lasso. I've waited for a lot of you. If you haven't seen it by now, it's your fault. <laughs> there's a scene where this, this um, angry, mean character named Roy Kent he loathes and despises another player on the team. His name's Jamie Tart, And they really dislike each other, and they have good reasons for that. But there's a scene where Jamie's father is abusive in front of all his other teammates to Jamie. And he's literally standing in the middle of, of, of the locker room and just getting insults, physical and, and, and emotional. And everybody's just watching. And it's painful to watch as this father shames his son. And he's left standing there alone. And the, the narrative arc of Roy, the most unexpected thing, would be for him to turn to Jamie. And what he does is he just hugs him. And it's, like, it's, just, it's just like bear hug, kind of like, like a protective hug. I'm going to keep you away from your, from your abusive father and the looks of, of your teammates. And redeems him. And brings this pr- protective hug. And if Roy Kent, through a hug, can save Jamie from a locker room of embarrassment— and bad fathers, I just, I hit, it just hit me. What, what would it be like if we let the creator God of the universe, through the enveloping love found in the Godhead, wrapped around us, what would that look like to, to protect us from the bad fathers of our life? From the embarrassment and ridicule, from the, the disapprovals of the world? How else would we be able to be comforted and then be able to move out into the world in, in renewed power? I think it would be, if we allowed it to be, life-transforming. I, I don't, I, I, we have, we don't, we've run out of time, but I, you need to see Christianity makes all the difference in the world. If the core of creation is a world of love, then ultimate reality for you is a personal future. It is a communicative and relational future. If it's not, your future is death. But if Christianity is true, it's life. That means Long past all the, when all civilizations are over, you will be with him, and he will be with you. And that gives us so much hope beyond all measure. It means people matter. It means life matters. It means uh, you can throw yourself into relationships, 
knowing that they might, they probably won't work out all of them. And many of them are going to be broken no matter what. Because you have the most important relationship with the Creator. And you know that one will work out. Even better, the ones that are broken in your life, and I think we all have broken relationships in our life, that if we have God in our life, with this world of love in our life, knowing that He's, that you're saved in him, you can risk trying to repair those relationships knowing that many of them won't get repaired. Or suffering in general. If our future world is a world of love, then we can handle the suffering right now because the minute we're with him, fully and finally, all the pain that you've gone through and will go through, all the hurt that this world is in and will be in, at the end of the day, with him, it'll feel like a bad night's sleep if the triune God is a world of love. We can go actually deeper into the suffering of the world because we know how it's going to end. And we can also protect ourselves from burning ourselves out by going to the suffering and injustice of the world because we know ultimately it won't be fixed except through him. So it's, per- it's perfectly balanced. And I, and I just want you to know that this hope is available to you and I want you to ask yourself, am I really accessing it today? If you're not a Christian here today, I think this is a, a, a profound question for you to ask. What is your hope in? But even if you are a Christian, I think you should ask yourself, do I really, am I really resting in this hope? Or are there aspects of our life that we're, we haven't invited him in because we're afraid of what he might do there? See that you have nothing to be afraid of. That if God gets his happiness by giving his happiness and you've placed him at that, that God at the center of your life, now we will most get happiness when we give happiness too. Let's invite Jesus into that part of our life. Let's, into, let's invite Jesus into every part of our life. And let's speak back to our hearts to calm it, knowing that the beginning, in the very beginning, the words that set creation forward are the very words that set your life forward too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Sometimes it's hard when you take this text and we want to ask it a certain set of questions instead of letting it ask questions to us. The questions this text is asking us are, who is the authority in your life? Who are you going to let yourself be? And how, you know, if you were made in this way by this triune God, Will you allow the ramifications of, of that God to be over your life? Look, Father, we are finite. We have so many concerns and cares in our, in our life. I, I confess that I, I don't come to you regularly seeing how you speak to us with power, with relationship. I pray that we would actually do so. Move our hearts. Help this church be a church profoundly impacted by the creator God of the world. Let, us, let it push us up into better worship of you and out into the world. We pray things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website, To learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family, just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.